Hello, this is Joel Porter, and on behalf of Steve and Kendall and Ange, I'd like to welcome you to the MI and Beyond podcast on hope. Uh, Kendall and I were um, facilitating this conversation along with Ange. Steve uh, took off to a football match and um, left us uh, the keys to the car. So we had a really lovely conversation about hope and where it fits into motivational interviewing and fits into the process of change. We had three or four people come up from the audience to jump in on the conversation. Loads of great questions and comments. And we hope you enjoy this. And next month, we'll be talking about MI and psychedelic assisted therapy. Uh, Please join us for that conversation. Take care, and we'll talk to you next month. Um, so, I don't know, Joel, do you want to start? What's your... Yeah, let's get going. Um, how we, um, away we go. So, so, um, uh, Morena, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're, uh, wherever you've joined us, um, we, uh, we welcome you, um, and we look forward to this conversation as, Kendall was saying, um, our, uh, our 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 third co-host is um, is AWOL this <laughs> evening, um, and um, and we're just going to jump into the conversation. So um, so this topic, Kendall, you proposed this topic on hope, mm. and um, I know previously uh, one of our one one of our colleagues had reminded us that a couple of years ago, we did do a webinar and hope was a part of it. Like, and I, and I couldn't remember it and I haven't had time to go back and watch it. So maybe we'll talk about some of the same things. Hopefully not. Um, we'll, we'll broaden it out. So what I want to, um, what I'd like to do actually is one, I want to encourage people in the audience, if you would like to join the panel just um, message Ange, and 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 she can send you an invitation. Um, or if you have questions, or you just want to join the conversation, just come on in. Because what I know about hope, and and historically, even you know, going way back to my psychological educational days, um, hope was always a factor, a positive factor in outcome, and the installation of hope was something that I was always you know, encouraged to do with the people that I work with, that I sometimes have to be the carrier of hope when somebody's feeling hopeless. Um, I can't say I've immersed myself into the literature other than looking around a little bit. And it seems that there's a, there is some data around hope and outcome across, you know, medical settings as well. Um, But that, that's where I'm at, Kendall. I'm really interested in what inspired you to this topic and um, and what your thoughts are? Yeah. Well, before I start, Larissa's saying it's hard to see you. Um, she's I obviously know. wanting to see that, that face really of yours. I got really bad lighting in here, and I'm sorry about that. And, and it's dark outside, so I don't have any natural light. I'll, um, I'll oh. put her around with the lights and see if I can rearrange things while you talk about 
Larissa, I think it's just because the middle of the night, Sir Joel. So no, morning. Early, on. Morning. early morning, same middle of the night. It's still the middle of the night for me until it gets to about like 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, why did I choose hope? Um, because as a, so I'm a clinician and I'm also a trainer and supervisor. And over the last year in the UK, a lot of the supervision that I've been doing, a lot of clinicians, um, so I, cl- I supervise people like social prescribers, um, therapists, uh, people who work in probation, various different people, as I'm sure all of you do. And with the COVID and then the cost of living crisis that's been happening in the UK and around the world for various different reasons, a lot of my supervisees have been really struggling and asking me a lot about hope and where that fits when they're starting to lose hope themselves um, because they're not really trained in the same way that we might be as psychologists. That's better. We've got Joel's face. That feels more hopeful. Um, And so it really got me thinking is hope and where when you're working with clients does hope become a challenge um, for anybody or not and it just made me start thinking and, and my colleague and I Susie were talking a lot about whether hope is a verb a noun you know what what is it and I'm looking at Vince's thing as well to say that he's got a contribution so I'll read. I'm sorry, that's my dog. Um, Ash, do you want to read Vince while I'm just quiet? My dog. Does. So Vince says, um, "Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Angie." Sorry, and um, the Snyder definition of hope: three different components, goals, that which we want to happen, pathway thinking, and ability to come up with routes to get where we want, and agency thinking, the motivation to use these pathways. Thus, hope arises when a positive goal is felt as being within reach. Sorry, I'm back now. I think that's amazing. What do you think, Joel? I think, um, I mean, I think the the last sentence, the thus hope arises when a positive goal is within reach. Um, I think that's, I think that kind of sums it up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even a positive goal appears to be within reach um, mm. could be helpful too. Some, sometimes people may not be able to see the end point, but they believe that they could get there. And, and that in of itself could be the, could be the goal, could be the, could be inspiration of hope. Um, and I know also hope is, is in and of itself is not enough sometimes for people. And sometimes it is. I, I I was reading a book, or I think it was the book. It was it was a book, and it was um, it was a historical book, and and it was a military thing. And one of the guys, the officers, said, "You know, we people say I hope this works out," and he said, "I hope is not a strategy. You know, hope is an aspiration. Hope is a is a desire. It's a drive. It's it's something." that 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 is important otherwise you know why why would you do something difficult or something that's going to be um challenging or even emotionally painful to get through because you i would hope i could get to the other side 
And then when I get the other side, I'm going to experience some benefits and relief, uh, you know, some sort of goal attainment. Um, and I was also thinking um, just the other day when I was thinking about this webinar, I was thinking about did sometimes, is it possible, do we, ins do we install false hope for people? Is there, is there, maybe that's part of the conversation we can get to. Is it even as hopeful as I am, you know, my hope isn't enough for the person. Um, I think, I think it needs to be, I think if we're going to be install working to install hope with people, we need to be very intentional about how we do it and make sure we're meeting the person where the person's at, because mm -hmm. I, I really struggle with setting somebody up for failure that as Steve would say, my aspirations for their behavior change exceed their ability. Mm. Mm. And so just, just, just being, as Steve would say, happy clappy and, 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 you know, um, affirmative and encouraging and supportive and believing that they can do it. There are some people that no matter how much hope I'm holding, they they can't they can't get there. And I'm 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 really I'm thinking right now about a, a young woman I'm working with who is really struggling with anorexia and bulimia. And she's kind of at the end of the road of hope after 10 years of 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 trying to figure out what's going on with her and how to live with her. And she's had tons of treatment, which the more treatment she gets, the less hope she has. Wow. So, yeah. So what I told her is whatever treatment you had before, we're going to do the opposite because obviously it's not working. And I didn't say it with a laugh and a smile. I was dead serious. You yeah. Know, you know. And what, when, when we think about hope in that sense and, and, and with your client, what's her definition of hope? Because that's one of the things that really strikes me as well is, What's the definition of hope? And I'm curious to hear, you know, this idea as well of is hope something that we just feel or does it have to be a goal that we're working towards? Because Perry and Bill have put it in their effective psychologist as part of the eight into critical, critical interpersonal skills as well. And so I'm wondering with your client, what her definition of hope is and welcome Tim. Hello, Tim. It's good to see you. Oh, you're on you're mute. You muted, Tim. <laughs> Schoolboy, well, it's lovely to be uh, invited to chat. And hello, everyone. Totally yeah, enjoyed it's... your training in, in MIN groups ten years ago, yeah. Joel. Yeah. Well, the last time I saw you was in Spain, and you were doing down dog in the lobby of the young oh, uh, hotel. Oh, that, yeah, that's flashback time. Sorry about that. Don't <laughs> worry. So, so I've, do you want me to jump in or, or wait? Yeah, jump or, right in, Tim. Do you want you to introduce yourself a little bit and who yeah, you are? Tim, and... Tim Anstis, medical doctor, but, but really focusing on uh, coaching. I'm just in the middle of three days of training of, of coaches on an MSC and MI and, and ACT and CFT and stuff like that. But, but love MI. That's my default option. Written some chapters on it and been involved in a few national programs. So, uh, you know always indebted to the various founders and trainers of MI. So, uh, yeah, like a lot of people, 
you know, just love the approach and it's influenced my career heavily. So I've been doing some work with some cancer nurses. I've done a few trainings, cohorts, one day, go away and practice another day. And we talk about hope. And I remember when I first learned CBT as a junior doctor in psychiatry or cognitive therapy, Beck's cognitive therapy, you know, people saying, look, one of the things you're trying to do with your first session of CBT with someone with depression is, is to increase hope. And we know that low hope on the Beck depression inventory, I think, is, a, is one of the risk factors predicted of suicide. So, so we definitely want to build hope. Uh, and, 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 and I like the Schneider model, and I'm not sure if I'm getting all the elements right. But for me, there's, there's a person, for the person to have more hope, they need to believe a particular desired future is a possibility. So the, look, the looking forwards exercise from MI, of course, if you're depressed, you may have low hope, and you may not think there is a possible future, but looking forwards six months, a year's time, things are getting better for you, things, you know, what will be going on? So there's the outcome expectancy, but then it's exactly as said, if people don't believe they can get there, then hope will be low. And I think what's MI, you know, even the confident scaling question, how confident are you that you could make progress towards your desired future, three? You know, why three? You could have said one or two. What, what is it that makes you think that maybe this desired future is possible? And then... We're losing your channel. Oh. Did I drop out? Am I back? Yeah. Yeah, you dropped, you dropped out for about 10 seconds. Sorry. We talked about the, 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 import, the confidence scaling question, or did I, did I get started mm -hmm. on that? Yeah. And then you might say, I'm just wondering what might increase your confidence, uh, you know, to a four or a five that you could get to where you want to go. And, you know, yeah, strength talk, affirmations, using your oars. Uh, and then you might say, can I share with you some other things that other people find helpful? So ask, share, ask maybe, or elicit, provide elicit. So I think MI is really, really good for building hope by getting people to articulate and describe a better future for themselves and then getting them to talk about why, you know, confidence about getting there, building self-efficacy that they could maybe take the steps, which may involve skill training, you know, problem solving, a range of other things, using affirmations, maybe looking at their strengths, what's right with them, but, but specifically, you know, trying to build the, you know, uh, uh, confidence that there is a better future for them and strengthening this pathways thinking so they can actually see what they might need to do to increase the probability of the desired future. And specifically in cancer, yeah, there's false hope. So, so there is this almost down regulation for some people because they may have, and I've done work with stroke patients as well, where the family thinks that their dad's going to fully recover and get back to work and drive again. You know, how might you in a way, reduce hope or at least manage expectations. And again, ask, share, ask is helpful. What's your understanding of the kind of amount of recovery your father might be getting? Okay, can I share with you what we tend to notice? We tend to notice that you know, when people have had the kind of stroke your dad's had uh, and, uh, and has made the recovery dad's had, there will be some improvement, but maybe not as much as you're anticipating. Mm. What do you make of what I've just said? So again, I think MI is perfectly suited for for this conversation around hope, uh, yeah. and that's me. That's my contribution done, perhaps. <laughs> that's that's that that's a fine contribution, Tim, and and I agree. 
I, I agree. I guess I guess that you you answered Scott McBean's question too because Scott was curious about strategies that people use, and um, and so I'll put it back out to the audience. And and some of those um, strategies that we have in motivational interviewing certainly can help to to kindle and build hope with people if they could see something if they can see something different. I mean, I guess kind of what I look for is I look for any crack of daylight to try to figure out how to increase it. You know, mm-hmm. when somebody says they feel like they're a total failure and they can't do anything right, you know, it's it's like, well, you got here. You know, there's a million things that could have happened that could have prevented you to get here. And you were able to traverse the city without getting run over by a car and make it to the appointment. You mm-hmm. know, you know, just anything that 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 that, that might be helpful. And, and even if they go, yeah, but that's easy. Like, OK, so, you know, what else can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's something about, you know, and about thinking about the future. The, and the challenge is when somebody is really depressed or they're in such a crisis or in so much shame that they cannot see a future. And that's 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 dangerous. And, and absolutely hope is. You know. The antidote for suicide ideations, I, thinking about harming yourself. And I, I maybe like some other people, I'm a doctor as well as an MI trainer, et cetera, et cetera. I've actually done decisional balance around people's ambivalence about suicide, as may other people on the call. So it might be considered a bit risky. I think it's in the second edition of MI in the Treatment of Psychological Conditions, but I've talked with people with suicide ideation, maybe not intent. What would be the good things about killing yourself? What are the less good things? What would be the good things about staying alive? And I say, what would be the good things about staying alive for another four weeks? And what are your concerns? Mm. Because, because, you know, what, what I want them to do is to think, okay, I can, I can put up maybe with my pain and yeah, discomfort for four weeks, and I can experiment with some other things, you know, to maybe see if, if well-being or depression or my inequitic times or my shame or guilt goes away. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's a big role very much in MI in psychiatry and clinical psychology for, for building hope and and helping people think, you know, even if we move towards just experimenting, encouraging them to experiment with a trial of something to see what mm. happens. And, and, and you just say, hey, nice, how do I still hope? And I think, you know, that, that is one of the principles, isn't it? In, in, in your rulers or whatever, there's, you know, encourage hope and self-efficacy is one of the, one of the principles of MI. And it is, it's a question, isn't it, of whether hope can be learnt um and and sometimes thinking about people you know because there's also a a sense of can can we teach it can we create an environment where hope is cultivated and I wonder if anyone's you know what people think about that as well because we can we can elicit it and we can try and elicit it but also is it a skill yeah Well, I was just thinking to me, you know, what it's experience, isn't it? Because if every time I hoped something would work out and it didn't work out, then my expectations would be that it's never going to work out. Mm. No matter how much hope I had, or maybe my maybe I'm unrealistic in what I'm hoping to work out, or I'm going about it wrong, or there's some other steps I need to do before I get to that to that goal. But it's just, it's I think experience teaches hope but it's I, I bet if we 
And I'd love to do this with the audience if we unpack it even more. Mm-hmm. You I think know? for me well, as well, like I, I have, I don't know if anyone else feels this, but I have a issue around hope being only attached to a goal in the future. And I, and I say this because it's a question that comes up when I've worked with Macmillan staff and people that are at end of life um, and also people that have terminal illnesses themselves. And if, if the future isn't possible or this idea of a future, does that mean then that you can't have hope? And for me, I still believe that hope is a feeling and it can be present and you can have hope to have it, it can, for, for me, when I'm in a hopeful state of mind, I feel very different and it's not necessarily attached to a goal. It's just a belief that everything will be as it needs to be. And I guess, I, I don't know. So, Joel, I, I like your idea of an experiment to think about that. Yeah, um, that yeah. Sorry, carry on. Oh, no, no, no. Tim was also mentioning, you know, carrying out an experiment. But to think about a hub, I mean, how to... How does how do we build hope in our lives? Mm. I, don't, I don't think as a baby we were born hopeful. I mean, we it's a it's a you know it's oh, not yeah. a well. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember what I thought as a baby. Um, you know, but it seems <laughs> like food and sleep and security and nurturance are, are the drives. You know, as a baby, but at some point, you know, maybe. Maybe a child who's being neglected will hope that their parents going to come and get them when they leave them alone for a long time, because in the past they have. It's, a, it's a, is it an expectation? Oh. And just what occurred to me when you were talking, Kendall, is um, it was it sounds something like faith in the sense of what George was just saying. Then it was an expectation, and as a baby, you might um, be hope or not be hopeful. Or not even it when you when you're a child, hope may not be um a dominant emotion because you haven't been let down. You've you've got no expectation to expect anything otherwise, and your parents are going to be there and come back for you. So I guess, yeah, it's a, it's a difference between faith and hope, I think. Ooh, that's a nice, that's really nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Making me think. The original questions is is hope a verb? Is it a noun? And I think maybe that's a bit of the English language. It can we can it can mean different things, can't it? Mm. Mm. I know Brené Brown says that hope is a function of struggle, um, and says that you know it it can only happen during the times where we're in discomfort, and. I wonder about that as well. Joel looks like he's... I'm I'm scrolling through some of the comments, and I don't have my glasses, so it makes it even interesting. (laughs) Um, But I do find myself thinking about, you know, to myself thinking, well, I hope this works out. I hope it works out. I hope it works out from time to time. And and I'm getting more aware of that. And and so in the process of change, right, because, you know, and... Where where does where does hope fit in? And and most people come, you know, at least to 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 see a psychologist because something's not right or somebody else feels that something's not right. And there's there is that 
hope that it can be different or it can be oh. better. Oh. You know, unless they've been dragged in by their ear and they're just there and they just they hope it won't last too long. The session, you know, <laughs> um, but but there is some hope there. And mm-hmm. is it is it sort of a building a, a cornerstone of of building of, of change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it is it a, is it is it is it essential? You know that there's some aspect that some that for somebody to make, and I'm I can't I can't get into teaching and coaching and medicine and and all of that. But is it is it important? You know, mm. is it? Do you have to have it in order to change? Along with how does it fit with motivation? Intrinsic yeah. motivation. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's 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 where we're you know, and and we're getting to some place because I know. If, if we think about it, and, and Gary has shared something really beautiful, and I just want to say thank you, Gary, for sharing that in the, the chat and being vulnerable with us all. Um, and he says that his clinician lent him hope. Uh, and that's really interesting. It's something that I've talked about a lot before with my clients. And, you know, I'm happy to hold it until you're ready to pick it up again, you know, when you're in that space. And Gary, what you experienced, like you say, it wasn't just a single conversation. It was a demonstration of belief in you that it worked. And congratulations on being able to accept that hope as well. So so when you're when you're lending someone hope, is it almost as though you're you're it's your voice in their head when they get stuck that they hear. Ooh. Yeah. So from a CBT pathway, then, are we starting to think that that voice and that hope that you're lending is starting to build that pathway that's, I've got I mean, Joel in my head, holding, like, you know, taking with me. But 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 it's, think about it. I mean, I'm I'm in therapy and I'm struggling with something and I don't think I can manage this conversation with with my boss, this uncomfortable conversation. But I've, I've my my therapist has we've we've role played it. She has confidence that I can do it. She believes I can do it. And when I go there, do I go out? I can't. My anxiety comes up, and then do I hear her voice saying, "You can do this." You can do this, you know. I mean, we're, it's an interesting thing, lending somebody hope. I mean, it's a, it's a nice metaphor. Mm. There you go. I think, you know, if you were to turn around to me right now and I was to tell you that I was really struggling and I was not being able to see hope uh, or feel hope or experience any hope and I was really in despair and I'm thinking if if you were to say to me, you know what, Kendall, I, I have hope for you and I'd, I'd like to lend it to you. You might not be able to receive it, but I'd like to lend it to you. And we can talk about what that sounds like, looks like, feels like. But I wonder if you'd be willing for that to happen. What I, I feel like even just talking about it is quite emotional to think that somebody would gift you that. Um. 
And I wonder if, you know, what other people have thought or if anyone wants to come up and talk about how they might experience it, we'd love that. Absolutely. Uh, how, how, you, how, you would exp- how you experience hope in your own life mm. or how when you're working with the people you work with, in whatever context it is, how do you how do you share or lend hope with mm. people? Because clearly, I, I would imagine that it's like you know the, the the seven universal emotions that you can see in facial and faces. I would imagine it's universal that people that hope would be something universal. Mm. Hope would be something universal. Yeah. And how does that manifest when we think like that? as in our clinical practice, what, when we're feeling that, that space. Oh, we've got Vince coming up. We've got Vince. Welcome Vince. Hello Vince. You're, you're muted as well. Hello. I was talking about you just the other day, Vince, uh, in Chicago. I was talking about uh, the affirmations um talk that you did and how inspiring that was so welcome it's good to have you up here hi hello hi um would you like to introduce yourself vince sure uh i'm vince uh came in in new orleans and i'm the uh uh, the resident environmental mi trainer guy that's my jam that sounds amazing um so yeah should i just like say just my jump right in whatever yeah. you're thinking um i mean so uh at like in chicago i like did a talk about like uh the concepts of acceptance um and uh i i think that there's a an intersection here that's uh i think um relevant because uh the the connecting tissue for me is the concept of um psychological defense mechanisms and like what are what are their purposes what are they doing like what are they doing for people so um in my work of like applying motivational interviewing to climate change i face you know uh the concepts of denial regularly but I'm sure like a lot of you do too in, in health contexts. Um, uh, so, but I mean, in this case, we even have like uh, a major well-known term climate denial, which, you know, it's like, does that even actually exist? So um, was it just more psychological defense mechanisms? Um, so uh, acceptance can be a way for us to um, like cope. Denial is a way to cope hope is a way to cope. So then the question becomes like, you know, to bring it back to the conversation of hope, like, um, is our hope actually a correlate to change? Or is it more just um, like, well, I hope that something happens, but then it's, it's just kind of assuaging, um, sort of like an internal egg, like anxiety, and not necessarily getting at like the root cause of the problem. Um, And so that's where I think um, the real key importance is sort of like hope that gets connected with agency. Like that's the thing, like if the agency isn't there, 
um, to like be an active participant in bringing about like a plan, an efficacious plan that is going to somehow do something. Um, so then maybe to give an example of what I mean here, like, um, I am in a in a place where I uh, have like strong vision of what's going on with climate change and the future. Um, and that could leave me with dread. Um, but and there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. One of the things that gives me hope is motivational interviewing mm-hmm. as a solution to climate change. Um, because here's an efficacious way to help people make a change that hasn't really been applied to climate change. So if we want to do something about climate change, applying motivational interviewing is a viable source of hope because it's something that I can do. So there's personal efficacy. It's something that other people can do, and we can make a plan around it. So there's plan efficacy, and it's locally relatable. So in the presence of locally relatable self-efficacy and personal like plan efficacy, then hope becomes an active source of, of motivation. Joel, I'm going to... I'm, I'm digesting what you said. Yeah, me and, too. And those, and those those three things, and and I was also reading the the, the chat to what Michael and um, Gary had, had put in. Um, and and somebody had said, and it's kind of what you just said, Vince, is that. Um, the reason a lot of us do the work that we do is that we hope we can make a difference in mm. people's lives or in the world. Right. And I was, I was thinking as Vince was talking about climate change, I was just thinking about sort of, you know, reading the news on the internet and, and just the shape of the world right now. And, you know, why do we keep moving forward? You know, because we hope it's going to get better. We hope we can make a difference. We hope things will change. Um, but I think having, and Tim had mentioned it as well, having some agency that I believe that I can do something to contribute to the betterment of my situation is really important. And then, and then seeing yourself doing it. I mean, when you look at kind of the components of self-efficacy, it involves several different things. And one of them is actually seeing that you can do it and then getting feedback from other people that you can do it or watching other people do it. Um, and and I think that builds hope, absolutely. You know? So I, I like those three things that you mentioned, Vince, um, because, because it, 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 it inspires hope in the deliverer uh, you know, the practitioner, and I know that you don't see yourself as a practitioner, as as the agent of change. And um and also it it's it's it it allows a person to demonstrate that actually they can do it. Which builds hope. We need hope like we need air. Boy, that was a powerful quote from Brene Brown. Suppose yeah. we do. You know? Yeah. Because the concept of hopelessness and despair, we can't live in that state, you know, consistently. No, no, no. 
Um, oh. And it's, I, I wonder about it with MI. And I think, Vince, thank you so much for saying that MI gives you hope. And it really struck a chord with me that it really can and does. I feel when I am providing my, you know, MI, working with my clients, and I have hope for all of them in different ways and and the clinical people that I supervise. And the affirmation process is often a way to activate hope. And it's it's often a way for me to be able to share my hope. I'm loving Joel's face. Uh, you are. The, the <laughs> I have to go back in the house to get my glasses. I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, and so, well, let's just, as Vince has said, you know, it's so a self efficacy, plan efficacy, local relatability, a form of personal agency and hope. That's the, where the possibility of change is. Um, and Greg is saying that hope, even when it seemed he had no agency, or, or Viktor Frankl. Um, and nothing good around him. He talks about finding that in purpose, maybe in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, I am as well, David, uh, definitely. Um, and David, I don't know if you want to come up and talk because of your, you know, you've had your experience with all of the positive psychology as well. And the belief in our absolute worth of our clients um, is what Gary's saying, makes a reasonable sense for hope for our clients. If anybody wants to come up, just come and share. I want to just talk about heather's point as well okay um she asked the question this is to you joel and and Ange and the group where does the optimism and hope for the potential outcomes goals possibilities for the human we are working with affect what we as the practitioner believe and then what we do in the conversation does See, I bet Heather. Sorry, go on. These are, these are really thoughtful questions that, that you know I don't have a an, an immediate answer for, um, and, and and all that. And certainly, I don't have. I have more questions and answers in my life in general, anyway. Um, and I thought the question was going to go when you started reading it. Is is where how do how do as a as a helper how do i manage my own self when the people the person i'm working with is feeling incredibly hopeless and it's taken its toll on me mm. right and 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 i'm starting to get pulled into that undertow of hopelessness as well too mm. um you know and 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 it, and I, you know, I think optimism is important. I've been told I'm a pathological optimist before. <laughs> you know, in other words, the glass is three quarters full, <laughs> no matter what. Um, but, you know, I can't, I don't know how to be in it. I don't know how to be different. Um, and I think it's important, but I also know that that optimism can, can also be um blinding too because you miss things that you need to pay attention to um along the way 
because it's, you know, it's almost like the rose colored glasses thing. So I'm, Heather, I'm just mulling over your question. I'd really be interested to hear your answer to it. Mm. Um, and what your thoughts are. I wonder if, yeah, because when I think about the clients that I struggle the most with, it's often those that not just, it's not that they're in that hopeless place and that despair, but it's when they're stuck there for such a long time, like you say, that it can start to draw you in. And that's where you can feel that discord where for me, our disposition or our frame of reference on the world is very different. And I have to really challenge myself clinically, emotionally to be able to come into their space without losing myself Mm -hmm. and recognizing how that might influence my responses to them. What, what, just kind of popped up for me was, um, and I, I can't quote Carl Rogers' full definition of empathy, but he does a really beautiful job of kind of operationalizing empathy in a psychotherapy kind of way. But one of it was the capacity to be able to enter into a client's world with without getting lost in it, yeah, you know, and getting 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 taken in to it, but being able to be there with with the client. Yeah. And so, so, you know, we could, that's, you know, how does empathy fit with all of this? Yes, absolutely. There you are, Heather. Hi, Heather. You stumped, you stumped the presenters. You stumped the oh. panel, Heather. So let, let's, yeah, let's hear what you have to say. You are on mute because you came in. I think you come in and you're muted. Hello. <laughs> Hello Welcome. again. Welcome. Yeah, you want to introduce I, I, yourself, Heather, to everyone. Sure. Um, Heather Lynch, uh, she, her pronouns. I'm uh, in Bend, Oregon, USA, uh, on the West Coast, uh, deep in some snow today. And uh, I am a rehabilitation counselor as a practitioner and um, hold a lot of hope in MI. Uh, I call myself a hope activator. Uh, sort of as uh, the work in the work that I do, often folks um, come in for services and they're um, feeling um, as if they've tried everything or things aren't possible for them. And and so I I really believe that's a, a large part of of my of my work and and who I am in my work and then what I do. So I think a lot about this idea of um, you know what are times where I feel like I'm losing hope and how does that affect what I then, um, so is it something I'm believing in the person or is it something that's happening in the system or the circumstances around the person that's, that's affecting my hope and, and how, how does that then intersect with what I actually do and choose to do with that particular person? Are there things that people present with that impact that, um, so it's a really complex thing um, in my mind, and I just love being able to sort through it with folks. Mm. I think what you've just shared is utterly wonderful, and I'd love to hear how you saw, have you got any strategies that you sort through or anything that you find as a hope activator strengthens you that 
you know, we, we you could share with us in the group. Like any MI trainer, I came up with an activity. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I call it, where do I struggle and where do I shine? Uh, and it's uh, often it's a pairs activity. And then I also sometimes do it for myself. Um, but I, I actually go through and I think about um, some of those questions. Um, and so it, I, it can be a self-guided activity or it's great to have a conversation with another human about it. Um, you know, and to be able to look at uh, an individual I'm working with or, um, or groups of people with a particular label or circumstance. Um, and so I, I think it's a, a really just nice way of saying, okay, um, and in this moment now with the circumstances that I'm in and what's happening in my system and work, um, where am I struggling and where do I shine? Um, and then it just sort of like, reminds me um, and and then offers me the next step, uh, which is what if anything am I going to do about it? <laughs> you know, what can I affect? Um, what's my next step? Um, and it, it gives me one, the ability to know that there's something I can do, which is back to that agency that Vince put in there. And um, and and sometimes it's not something that I can do. Maybe I can go to another human or or try something else with someone else or affect a system in some way. Um, and, and that maybe is a little bit of acceptance um, where I think there's sometimes some, some intersections and in hope and acceptance. Mm. Joel. It was just pouring down rain here and this has a, a metal roof and it gets kind of loud. But Heather, I want to borrow your brain for a second on, on your exercise. So, um, That's where my like, head went like, as well. <laughs> yeah, I like I like the, the where do I struggle and where do I shine? And when you do that in a training and you're working with, with a group of colleagues or professionals, what, what do you tell them to talk about where they struggle in their personal life, in their professional life? or whatever they want to talk about? Usually I focus on a particular type of person they're working with or situation or label. Like I, I give them kind of a menu of options to decide what they want to think about that would be useful for them. Um, and again, I do that for myself. So thinking about right now, um, what are particular kinds of humans or situations that I'm struggling with as a practitioner? Um, and where do I sort of do my best work or feel like I'm in my best flow or feel my most hopeful um, in my work? So again, um, certain kinds of situations, humans. Um, so sometimes maybe it's folks um, really struggle when somebody comes in and um, they are dealing with a particular kind of issue that may pop up their writing reflex or yeah. uh, maybe bring out some vicarious trauma or something else. So it's you know, there's a variety of reasons that particular situations or humans or labels or things might, you know, get in someone's way. So it's just sort of that noticing. Okay. Uh, no, no, that's really helpful. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pinch that from you and I'm going to use it in a training today, <laughs> later on this afternoon. Um, thank you for that. But I think, I think that's lovely. I think it's a lovely way to do it because as people, we, we, tend to focus on where do I struggle, mm. you know, 
and being self-critical and looking at the things I'm struggling with. And there's something, and it, and, and it's in varying degrees to culture of being able to acknowledge where you shine or things you're proud of about yourself, you know? Um, and, that, and that's, I've noticed, you know, there's European countries and the, the tall poppy syndrome down here in New Zealand um, and Australia, which growing up in the States, it's kind of different, you know, it's okay to talk about the things you like, you're good about and you're proud of, um, but not too much. And I don't know what it's like around the world, but there's a balance there in giving people an opportunity to at least say it out loud so they can hear it and probably and have the other person, I'm assuming, kind of reflect back what they hear they're saying um, is a real nice affirmation. So that's that. That's a takeaway from today, people. And you don't have to do EMI training to do that. <laughs> right. you know? And we always want to add on doing the side. It in my head right now. Yeah. Great. You know? Well, I'll um, I'll pop off, and perhaps there's someone else who come in and and inspire some some good ideas. Yeah. Great. Thanks again, Heather. It's nice to see you. Thank you so much. And what a lovely activity. I'm sure everyone will be asking you for that as well. And I might do that. Like you say, Joel, we have, um, because we have the negative bias as well. Mm. You know, it's that part of the training for where do I shine and how uncomfortable that can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about solution-focused therapy, about when it also brings in the exception-seeking questions and how that can draw on hope as well. So when does this not happen? Yeah. When, what what's the exception? This, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. When, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Yep. Well, when did you get when did you get the closest to what you were trying to get to? When was it, you know, and, and thinking about like you said, there's 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 light, there's hope in everything. I mean, we're going down the Leonard Cohen Cohen route, aren't we? If there's a crack in everything. And and it's and it's really as a, as an MI practitioner, is that what we're also looking for all the time? Is is this sense of where is, it, like you said earlier, is hope a part of intrinsic motivation? Mm. I'd be curious what everyone else thinks about that because I think it is. I think that without hope, why would you do it? Yeah. <laughs> If I yeah. didn't hope it would work out or I hope it'd get better or it would change or I could, you know, the situation or I could change. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I remember, I remember years ago, a long time ago, doing some training, co-training with Chris Wagner. Um, and we were doing an affirmations exercise and, and somebody said, well, how can, how do you, how can you affirm somebody that you find, you know, repulsive or reprehensible or, or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just look for the silver lining in everything, even if I have to flip something negative into a positive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and and so having that ability to kind of, you know, go, wow, this is intense. I need to stay committed to being this hope instiller instiller of hope um i saw at the um at the uh at the motivational interviewing network a conference of trainers in chicago can't remember who it was they had a t-shirt on that said hope dealer 
That's wonderful. <laughs> Maybe that's what Heather's, what did she say? She's a hope activist. Hope, 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 yeah, activist or instiller of hope. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. But a hope dealer is like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll buy some. Um, <laughs> and, and Dave is saying that, um, you know, I think hope is one of the mechanisms of change in MI. Tip is asking, is this change talk the language of hope? We desire, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So in, in motivational interviewing, for those yeah. of y'all that don't know it, change talk can be broken into different categories. And, you know, Bill Miller's acronyms are darn cat, you know, desire, ability, reason, and need to change or not change. And um, cat, commitment, activation, and taking steps. Mm-hmm. So, and so a lot of times pe- uh, speech can be put into these different categories. And so would hope be an expression of desire? I, I hope I can do this. I hope this will get better. Yeah. Yeah, because if you think about in itself. I think, well, I'm, I'm curious what everyone else thinks, and certainly the linguists out there. But f- when we listen for change talk within the desire, so what are we going with? I hope, I want, I wish, I would like, love. I'd love. They all feel like hope. Yeah. Um. But then also maybe actually, because if you look at the A, which is ability, somebody can come in and say, I think I can, or I'd like to think I can, or I did it last time. Yeah. I hope I can. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I can do this, you know? Yeah, I really hope so. I, I you know, yeah. I, and I, I wonder if part of often when we think about change talk and change there's, there's a future version of ourselves, which is often different. And the future version of ourselves that's often different that we'll, or that we're aspiring towards is usually somebody who we hope to be more like, you know, and somebody that we are aspiring to. Yeah. I remember when I was learning how to do uh, motivational interviewing, I had hoped I could do it as well as Bill Miller. <laughs> I hoped I could do it as well as Chris. On those old videotapes, you know, (laughs) and Terry with the rounder, you know, that was my hope is that I hope I could get to a point that I could, you know, do motivational interviewing at at this level. How's that gone for you, Joel? What's that? How's that gone for you? Oh, I'm still struggling. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been able to put in some, no, no, I'll get into it. It gets kind of. (laughs) Kind of very specific if I start talking about crows picking on. I was just going to say, um, where, where are the crows? Um, the crows? Um, but yeah, no, but it is, it is, it is good to have something to move towards, right? You know, and to feel like that, you know, if, if they can do it or, or then I can do it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I wonder or if I'm if facing something difficult, like, you know, like if I want to go. Or challenging, like I want to go bungee jumping down in Queenstown, and and I, you know, I, I hope it's going to work out right because I'm gonna have this big rubber band on my feet and I'm gonna jump off a bridge, and I think, well, thousands and thousands of other people have done this, and they're mm. and they're okay, you know, nobody's died or that has shut the thing down, and yeah. people do it every day, right? So I so I hope it's going to work out, but I have the confidence and the belief that it should because most everybody else who does this, I don't know what they feel, how they go afterwards, survive. Yeah. 
Right. So there's I'm a collective the hope. Person. Yeah. I'm it's not a, the first person to do this. That always is nice. Yeah, I'm not alone. Because hope is yeah. also about not being alone, isn't it? I guess. Mm. There's an aspirational element to it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Aaron's saying, I get the feeling sometimes we are the beacon of hope for our clients. Um, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting one. Because I guess as, as clinicians, what we're trying to do is evoke the hope from within the individual. But knowing that our clients will mirror or can mirror us, and as Gary shared his beautiful story earlier, that often we will start to mirror. I think my therapist, when she's had hope for me, when I've been struggling, that has definitely been a beacon for me. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly an anchor of hope that somebody else has got belief in me. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it plays out in group therapy, right? Um, as, yeah. as a facilitator and a participant in group therapy, you know, knowing that there are a group of eight, seven other people who, plus two therapists who know me well and, you know, and, and have faith and confidence in me that I can, you know, get through this relationship breakup or whatever I was experiencing at the time, you mm -hmm. know, it's helpful. You know, I think the, yeah, I think the more people you feel like you have in your corner, mm -hmm. uh, the more hope you're going to have, I'm, I'm going to have, right? Yeah. And somebody said earlier on the chat that hope is contagious. I can't remember who it was, so I apologize. I'll scroll back in a minute. But um, yeah, I think that's that's fair. And I think what you're saying, Joel, is, yeah, if you've got more people that have got hope for you, it's a safety net. They'll catch you when you're struggling. Mm -hmm. there's, an old, there's an old social psychology study, and maybe somebody remembers, and this just goes back to undergraduate or graduate school, is that sometimes it was shown that if people believe that they have, they know that they have people supporting them, that is really helpful. Yeah. I know that I have people on my side. I know people have my back that I know that if, you know, it all turns to custard, I have a place that I can land where people will support me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. You got, so that you got goes back to this connectedness. You know, and it links almost with what And was saying when I was talking about my hope and faith, mm -hmm. and that connectedness about faith, and and I and and I'm talking whether it's faith in those that you love, faith in a higher being, faith in spirituality. That how much is faith connected as well to hope? You know, when I hear clients saying. You know, uh, I have faith that somebody's got the right path for me. You know, when they've given almost their hope or faith to somebody, somebody else, whether that's a higher being or not. Um, and whether that's friends and loved ones as well. So the, the intersection between connection, faith and hope. I don't know. Tips asking if... Uh, Offering a cup of tea, is that hope? <laughs> and then, I mean, here's, here's a cuppa for you, Tip, but also 
I'm thinking, where does that connect and intersect with compassion? Because if you think about the definition of compassion, one of my understandings of it is it's the identification with suffering and the intention to alleviate it. And that's very hopeful. Even if intention to alleviate is with empathy by just sitting in connection with somebody. Hope seems to be intra and interpersonal, perhaps. Elizabeth saying, isn't our faith in humanity what allows us to have hope for our clients? Yeah. Now, that's interesting because when you think about faith in humanity, Sometimes I lose faith in humanity as a collective, but I still have hope from my clients really individually. I don't know what I'm just releasing some of my inner darkness here, but that's yeah. a fair point, Elizabeth. It is, yeah. And then, and whether I like it or not, in terms of the direction humanity goes, it seems to persevere. Mm. And, and, you know, until we eliminate ourselves from this planet one way or another. Um, we 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 continue to move forward, you know. Nice, and, and, you know. Um, Maybe actually, can I just say on that? Is it intrinsic in us as a species to have hope, or is it well, just survival, or both? Thank you, Mike. Again, I kind of go back to: Is it? I like what somebody said. Is this something that is that is that we acquire um, experientially through experience and interpersonally? That you know, we at some point somebody tells you the word hope and tells you what it is. You mm-hmm. know, you, you like I said, I don't think it's something that. Maybe it is. I don't know, but maybe we don't have a word for it. But once we find a word for it, how do we how do we become hopeful? How do we how do we how does hope become part of the way we negotiate our way through the world? Mm-hmm. Where does it fit? Is mm-hmm. it do you know? And I, I think it's going to come. I think it's going to have a lot of different by observing other situations, by experiencing things, by being told things. Um. And the flip side is over is if, you know, for somebody who's growing up in, in, a, in a very tragic situation, you know, where there is, there is no hope and the people around them feel hopeless. I'm going back to the Victor Frankl experiences in a concentration camp where they could, he could tell when someone was going to die when they'd given up hope and they would start giving away their food. You know, yeah. at what point do you lose hope? completely and i guess you know people that work and you know intimately with suicide and study suicide that's probably something they they talk about and ponder a lot Mm. at what point does somebody lose hope Mm. and how do you restore it once it's gone yeah that's that as clinicians that's where we really want to focus isn't it sometimes Mm. when when it's really gone in someone. But again, like you say, Steve says, is not to jump into that writing reflex or the the, the aspiration for behavior change to be higher. You still want to meet the client where they are. 
but there comes a point where you can meet them where they are, but still have hope for them. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. I think Tim was describing that when he was talking about doing the sort of decisional balance with a person who's feeling hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that you're feeling hopeless and, and that you, you know, here's some things that you've thought about in regards to if you weren't around, how you wouldn't be a burden to people and how people would be able to, you know, go through their day. They didn't have to worry about you. And at the same time, you know, mm. you've mentioned these things about staying alive and what would be helpful. I mean, I think being seen in that moment is important mm. because it is. Our natural tendency is to say, let's not talk about those dark, bad things. Let's just focus on the good things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when we start trying to inflate hope. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. If I can just get enough affirmations and encouragement in there, then then maybe that'll do it. And you know, <laughs> better than doing nothing. True. Yeah. You know? But yeah. you know, but 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 for somebody, you know, one of the things that that I've experienced in in recently in, in talking to a family where there was a, a teenage, a young adult son who had who had um, committed suicide years ago, and they were still feeling guilty because they felt like they missed something. Because as he was coming, as they, they thought he was getting better because he was he had been very suicidal, but then he started talking about the future and all of a sudden he felt a lot better. And I remember learning and one of the risk factors is that when people who are suicidal start acting as though they're about to go on vacation mm-hmm. or things are all better now, that that's, that's a real important moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing to look at for me because thinking that somebody has lost all hope and then all of a sudden the 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 commitment to take their life brings relief that they can come across as everything's fine now yeah yeah so and, and are they having hope that everything's going to be better when they die for themselves and other people oh yeah the, the yeah. shadow side of hope but I don't know. It's it's a it's you know, I, I, and I certainly don't mean to be dragging the conversation down to this kind of dark level. But you know, what what do we do when hope runs out? You know, and and like you say, though, does does hope run out, or does does the focus become on a on a different goal? And and I think mm. Ted has said, you know, is hope for something different, and is suicide just a hope for something different? A hope for relief, a hope for an ending, and and I think what's I'm I might say their name wrong, so I apologize if I'm saying your name wrong. But is it Jireen, Jireen, or Jireen? I don't know if anyone um, has said that it's intrinsic. Hope is intrinsic, and it's a survival strength. I think Gabor Mate would say a similar thing that hope is within us all, even if our hope becomes a trauma response, and whether yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, people, people, I mean, I I do a lot of work in in addictions and, you know, people hope that they're going to get what they want from this shot of heroin or this line of cocaine or this bottle of whiskey. I mean, they they hope it'll take them to a better place Mm. because where they are is just very uncomfortable and intolerable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But then is that hopelessness? 
Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, what's the emotions that are attached to different things? Yeah. Um, and where we're at. I'm conscious of how you're feeling, uh, Joel, everybody. Joel has just, you know, woken up. I've finished two days <laughs> of MI in groups and I've got to do a whole day in CBT tomorrow. Uh, so I just want to check in. How are you feeling, Joel and group? I'm, I'm I'm good to go. I've got a I've got a full day ahead of me, um, but but yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just I'm, you know, <laughs> to wake up and to jump into a conversation like this is, is is kind of a treat. But at the same time, it's like oh well, <laughs> it's it, it you know it's a deep conversation. It and is. Again, I'm I'm aware that we have people in the audience, and we had no idea that that we were going to talk to this point of hopelessness and suicide and so so i'm um you know wanting to offer whatever kind of support anybody needs if if, if this is something that's a little bit close to your own experience or your own soul mm. um, yeah same absolutely okay well i just and Ange, how are you doing i'm good thanks kendall i'm definitely good for until um at least until the end time yeah. cool thanks. i think we're going to bring Jirene up. Yeah, please do. Um, welcome. Good. Hello. Hi. Oh, uh, my background wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> Don't worry. This, this is a safe no space. No judgment here. This is yes. such a come as you are thing that it's fine. Jirene, hi. Is, how do you say your name at first? Jirene. Leah, look at Tangerine. <laughs> okay well introduce yourself where are you from yeah i'm in salinas california uh you might be familiar with santa cruz or monterey which is the county that i, I work in santa cruz county um so our community has is really impacted by um you know right now fentanyl and shelterlessness um, so the field that I work in is I'm a, I'm a trainer for many different approaches to serving the, the people that we serve and, um, behavioral health is where, where I am addictions and co-occurring conditions. So I'm really thankful to just join in this space in my day to day. Um, I <laughs> thanks. Um, one thing that we're really involved in right now is because we, we have been historically a trauma-informed organization. And now, you know, again, just that those slight perspective shifts to instead of trauma-informed, we are now resiliency-informed and just educating each individual and then our communities and our clients as well. So community resiliency model and MI just like are beautifully incorporated together. Um, I was minted in Estonia and some of the, so some of the names that I've seen come up here, I'm just really thankful to be part of this community. Um, and someone in my group said this beautiful metaphor about, you know, am I, and contrasting so much with other models of like an art therapy where, you know, your colors can just make them pop. So blue and orange are beautiful colors on their own, but together they're just, they contrast so well. And so I just love MI for that. So that's why I wanted to speak up to resiliency and hope. Okay. Yeah. 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 So what what are what are you what are you um you see the two traveling together? I do. 
Yeah. And, um, the hope being a muscle and I named, I named that because what we, what we are focusing on expands or grows. Right. And, and this idea comes, it's based in neurobiology and that's what the resilience model is, is about. It's about somatic tracking and noticing. Um, am I focusing on like earlier, what was said, my struggles or my, what I'm shining in, right. I have this, I have this choice at every moment. Do I focus on what I'm struggling in or am I focusing on where I'm shining? And sometimes that shining part is just because it's about body. It's bringing the body awareness in because in the body, when we settle the body, we can settle our nervous system and chaining changes. Right. So, um, sometimes it's just like this little freckle on my earlobe. That is the hope, right? It's just like that one spot in the body that I can shift my total awareness to and feel the parasympathetic nervous system activating. So that's how I wanted to bring it in. Okay. Bring it in through the polyvagal system. <laughs> that That's where I'd like to rest my awareness. I don't know about everybody else here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my my belief is everything's connected and there's many, there's many doorways and many ways to enter into uh, the human experience. And it, whether it's biologically, psychologically, yoga, you know, whatever you like, yoga yeah. informed, uh, you know, there's lots of different ways people can, can enter that process. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different paths we're all walking, especially right now we're in different parts of the world and we're coming into this one place together. Yeah. Amazing. Can I ask a, a question then about the work that you do, which sounds incredible Please. as well. When you're working with your clients, where, where do you take the conversation around hope? How might you bring this in about the freckle or, you know, because when you're a somatic therapist and you work in that somatic trauma-informed way, you often really, we try and get people to connect with where hope might feel and where it, where it, what it connects with. Like the, um, so how might you work with that with your clients? Yeah, there's several, similar to what Joel, you were saying that there's so many different ways to get to, there's so many different overlap as well in the different models. So one current way, which is my full of focus right now, yeah, you know, giving a lot of feedback, observational feedback, um, asking permission first, of course. So, you know, um, you know, Kendall, would it be okay if I shared with you what I'm noticing right now? And first starting to cultivate that awareness, um, getting permission for the feedback, which again, am I consistent? Um, and, and giving that observational feedback of I'm noticing, you know, your shoulders just went up a little bit. Um, what, what might be happening now? Where in your body might you notice something that's more uh, at ease and just kind of shifting and guiding? Um, that's part of tracking, which is a skill. Um, and then another one would be actually like taking a pause and calling out like, um, tell me something that brings a smile to your heart. Mm-hmm. And what about this person, place or thing brings a smile to your heart? And start to give feedback about how, so I'm noticing you're just seeming a little lighter right now and giving that continue. It's a transactional, transactional Mm -hmm. reciprocal uh, conversation Um, and just continuing to elicit and draw out their experience, their internal experience and reminding them that that's with you at all times. 
Yes. That's, oh, you can go back into that whenever you'd like. And no one else knows. You could be standing at the grocery store ready to punch someone in the face and you can tap into this resource. It's a really empowering. Yeah. It, it really. Oh, sorry, Joel. Oh, no, go ahead, Kendall. You were in full motion. I, w- I was just, well, I was getting really excited because this is one, it's, it's so lovely to hear the way that you're bringing in that somatic experience. And it really links with evocation for me when you're looking at the evocation phase of MI. And while, while I'm engaging with somebody, I'm a lot more curious about both sides of their ambivalence or about their experience. When I'm really stepping that, the gear into evocation, that's when what you're talking about is so powerful because it's really evoking the cognitive and the emotional motivation. And mm-hmm. that's so beautiful around change, around relapse prevention, you know, and, and those tools. And I just really wanted to share thank you for bringing that in because it really highlights the, the power of the somatic approach with, with MI. Yeah. And if I can just kind of tie all of this with one last piece is um, that, you know, we've been kind of going back and forth with what, what is hope finding this common language and our perspectives. And that's a big part of it. Sometimes I come into these MI discussions and we're leaving with more questions than, you know, quite answers. Right. And so with this idea of this transactional awareness and evocation and experience and feedback with the resiliency model, um, I think that it really empowers an individual to experience even in that one second that they might have some relief. Mm-hmm. And that, I know Steve, I was part of Steve Malcolmberg Smith trainings and he mentioned about putting, like leaving the little piece of sand in their shoe. And that's that piece of sand that like, oh, I felt like my heart opened just for a minute or a second. Mm. And, and that's all we can do. So thanks. Beautiful, Joel. You were going to add to that. No, the, Jerry, you, you have you have me agreeing with you, and and I think part of what you offered was what what can we do when hope runs out? And the thing about just trying to get them to shift into their body and connect it with something real and a feeling is you know you, you once you step in that stream, it's changed. You know, that's there. That's part of that's with you. You've experienced it and and it's real. And particularly if, you know, if you say if it was me, you say, well, what is one thing that makes you makes your heart sing? It'd be like my kids. Yeah. You know, looking at my kids and, and have holding them and, and, and you know, that would give me hope. Yeah. You know, and, and how do you feel that? Well, I feel it all in my heart and I'm feeling warm in my body and, you know. Yeah. And even just noticing you kind of lit up a little bit when you just mentioned you kind of looked for it and the image might have popped into your mind. Yeah. About your well, it did. It did. Yeah. That was, that was genuine yeah. and real. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I, and I, I think that's, and I think being able to articulate it the way you did, which means that, that it's teachable, that this isn't some intuitive skill that you have like motivational interviewing, we can teach it to people. It's not that there's a gene that some people do better complex reflections than others. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. it, it takes practice and it takes effort, but it's teachable. And a lot of things I've learned with motivational interviewing is you just have to pay attention, listen, and 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 
look, work with what's always been there. Yeah. But nobody yeah. shined a light on it before. Yeah. Like language or body movement, you know, and you're not interpreting the body movement, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've been in enough experiential therapy where it's like, oh, you're moving your leg. We'll move it faster. What kind of feelings does that bring up, you know? And next thing you know, you're laying on the floor crying. Um, but that's a different kind of work than you're talking about for sure. Yeah. And, and what's so applicable, which I appreciate about this, this too, is that it's shared. So even the clients that come in and say, you know what, that's some BS that you're talking about during, I'm like, okay, this is BS. And would you agree that we're both human beings and we share this nervous system? And that's something that is, is welcome because we're both human. We all have a nervous system. So let's work from the bottom up instead of top down learning. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Thank, thank <laughs> oh, you. Thank, thank you, for you so in. much. That was so interesting. Really helpful. And Larissa's talking about the Body Keeps the Score book as well. And yes. where, you know, how powerful that was as a book. Um, too. There's some great resources out there, aren't there, that really help us connect with that somatic approach. Thank you. Um, Thank right. you. And Pam is singing High Hopes. I mean, we should just get Pam to come up and sing for us. That should be the ending of our, our, <laughs> our thing right now. <laughs> I'll sing together. Um, except if I start singing, everybody will leave real quick. Um, people are bad. Nonsense. But we are we are at you know an hour and a half at this point. Um yeah. and um this has been a nice organic conversation to have with a starting point on hope and just kind of see where it went. Um we know it's important, right? And I guess here's my takeaways. Hope is important. Um It um, it's something that can be shared. There are ways to work with people to increase hope, um, as particularly as Jareen was just talking about, and and Tim in the beginning using some of the motivational interviewing skills. Um, I need to be intentional about how I try to instill hope. I don't want to give people false hope. Um, And what else? What are your takeaways, Kendall and then Ange? Well, I, I love what you've just said about, you know, being mindful and also understanding our role in it not being that toxic positivity, um, but also just having a core belief in hope for that person and in the connection between us you know, between, and, and I think for me, my takeaways have been that there's there's so many different angles to it that we can go with. And the bit that really keeps lighting me up is when we move out of the cognitive into the emotional. And while, you know, and I'm aware that we haven't done lots of research today and we haven't talked about the neuroscience too much about it and we haven't had anyone on who's got all of the data, which I thrive on and love, as I'm sure many people do. 
what I've really loved about this conversation is it's been more about the heart and that hope really is about the heart is it's the language of the heart and I I like that MI can link to that so beautifully Mm. that's my takeaway how about you Ange I love that Kendall I guess um I'm you know I'm not a clinician but um I hope I'm a good friend to talk to or a good family member. And I think you know, the heart is a big thing in connecting. So in order to, to feel at ease with someone, you need to feel that connection with the heart. And what you said about bringing it back into their feeling, sometimes, you know, when it's you can't offer a solution, but I hope that your feeling will be different. So if someone's struggling with depression, anxiety, rack with um, fear or um, stress, so you can try to get, instill them some hope in them that things can change and ask them to think about how they may feel. Imagine how you feel when you wake up and you're not wrapped in anxiety or guilt or depression. And to, and to maybe if, you know, they could just stop and evoke, you know, like we were saying about evoke, evocation as well, Kendall, if you can evoke that, a sense of that feeling and a hope that they could achieve it. Um, I think that, you know, it's offering that that light or um, belief in them as well. So, yeah, I think. But if you don't do that with a, a heart, an open heart and, a, and compassion and a sense of love and support um, as a friend or a family member, I don't think it's as effective. So, yeah, all about the big heart. When I do um, some of my CBT training, we do a, a soundtrack music of hope um and I, I i should have asked at the beginning what people's songs of hope are um and mine will always be sam cook a change is going to come and and just as you were talking then it was like i felt that that, <laughs> that lives in you that hope yeah. well thanks kendall yeah. um how about I close this off with something I heard Bill Miller say years ago. And um, he, he came out to New Zealand and he was actually down here in Christchurch and he was doing a talk and he was taking questions from the audience. And a, and a woman asked him, you know, something along the lines of, do you, what are your thoughts about terminal alcoholism, right? That somebody has literally chosen to drink themselves to death. Um, and Bill's answer was, I don't know how far love can reach. Hmm. Right. And I thought that's about hope. Yeah. You know, so on on that note, you know, I, I think that's a lot of why many of us do the work that we do. Is to try to make a difference. Yeah. And hope that we can, you know. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Well, thank you to everybody who has joined us today. Absolutely. We hope that you've not missed Steve too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we hope Steve's having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you have a good day, afternoon, night, and um and and next um Next month, we're going to be talking about motivational interviewing and psychedelic assisted therapy. So we're going to go down a different path.
<laughs> next month. And we've got a few good guests lined up. All really right. excited to hear about that. It's it's a world that I'm fascinated by and petrified of. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. So we'll we'll send out the uh, the registration soon. Um, everybody, just take care. Take care of each yeah. other. Stay and, well. Um, we'll see you around. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Take care. Rabbit Poobah, a yee-haw bookum.